Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Good to worship together as a church family online, not in the field. Good to be together online this Sunday morning. As Bill said, whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you will fit right in. Well, as you are probably aware, uh, normally on Sundays we do what we call the hybrid model, where we have folks worshiping online and also folks worshiping in person. Uh, The door open to us right now for in-person worship is a field off Highway 115. Uh, Because of that, it is highly dependent upon weather. And as, as you probably would could could figure out, between the services and the setup for the services, there's a pretty big window where we need non-hostile weather, and we did not achieve that this morning. So thank you for flexing with us uh, and making this change. Some people ask, is there a plan for a non-weather dependent uh, option for in-person worship? And the answer is, uh, we're as you can imagine, we're knocking on a lot of doors. And the answer is typically, "Mm, not right now, (laughs) not in these times. However, the Lake Norman YMCA has told us they have a church that currently worships there, but that church, the Church of the Good Shepherd, anticipates moving out by year's end. And if and when they move out, the Y would be open to having us move in. And so we are pursuing that. We will keep you in the loop as we learn more about that. But for the near term, we will continue to do hybrid in the field and online and enjoy worshiping together in that way. All of this makes me more grateful for those of us who have made commitments and are fulfilling those commitments to the Rooted campaign as we are in the midst of buying land and building a more long-term home for our church. It will be nice to have a building that we have the key to, uh, but we're not there yet. We have seen God's provision every step along the way. It also makes me think that when that day comes, as we continue to fulfill those commitments, and be a little ahead of schedule, in fact, uh, it makes me hopeful that this time we'll get deep down in the soul of our congregation a desire to use that facility to be generous, not just to ourselves, but to the community around us, to be an open door to those who need it. Well, today, we're actually going to do baptisms today. Uh, You can imagine... uh, Those got rescheduled. Today, then, we're just going to wrap up a short series of sermons on faith and finances. It was going to be funny. There was going to be an immersion baptism today, which was just going to consist of standing outside for a few minutes. (laughs) We're wrapping up a short series of sermons on faith and finances. This is on the heels of a short series on faith and politics. So next week, if anybody shows up, we will move on to other topics. Finances through the lens of faith can be a tough subject, but it's an important subject for us, especially in 2020, especially as in March, a lot of us had to deal with the sober thought, what happens if my income doesn't come back for months? What happens if my salary just turns off like a water faucet? The truth is, some of us have come through this year just fine. Others of us have been especially hard hit by the economic impacts of COVID-19 and our response to it. Some of us are still dealing with a lot of job insecurity. Will our job exist six months from now? Will our field exist six months from now? So hear me loud and clear when I say this series is not about discouraging you. 
What this series is about is trying to give all of us a biblical roadmap for how we move forward, turning to Jesus and seeking wisdom and help as we're in the midst of or as we come out of a financial health scare. How do we view finances through the lens of faith? Well, the scripture points to three major ideas that are not just related to finances, by the way. They're much bigger concepts than that. But the big ideas are stewardship, contentment, and legacy. Stewardship, contentment, and legacy. How do we view a lot of things through the lens of faith, including our finances? Stewardship, contentment, legacy. Say it with me. I heard all of you. Well done. Well done. First week was stewardship. Stewardship is that change of perspective that, that says everything belongs to God. The food you eat, the shoes on my feet, everything belongs to God. And you and I are caretakers. We are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Last week was contentment. Contentment meaning satisfaction with what God has entrusted to me. As you think about what God has entrusted to you, are you not satisfied, somewhat satisfied, satisfied, or very satisfied? If you missed either of those sermons, they're available on our website. Today, as you might have guessed, we move to legacy. Legacy means deploying God's resources for something bigger than myself. Deploying God's resources for something bigger than myself. It is never too early and it is never too late to start thinking about the legacy that your life is leaving. What is the message that your life sends? What are you investing in? What are you contributing to? And that can be money, but that can be time. What are you, expertise, your prayer? What are you and I investing in? What are we contributing to that will outlive us? What are we investing in? What are we contributing to that lets other people see the love of God? It is never too early and it is never too late to start thinking about these questions. They are questions of legacy. And as a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you ever become a follower of Jesus, Jesus wants to work through you to leave a legacy in this world. Now, what kind of legacy is what we want to look at today? To be clear, what follows is not an economics lecture even if my voice tone indicates otherwise. What this is, is about following Jesus. You and me turning to Jesus, following Jesus to gain a clearer picture of our lives, including the financial area of our lives. The the Bible's view of the financial area of our lives, you'll often hear us describe as give, save, live. Give, save, live. So give at least 10% to God's work in the world, Set aside 5 to 15% for saving, debt reduction, and investing, and live on the rest. Give, save, live. The Bible does put a number on give. It only teaches save. It doesn't put a number on it. And then live on the rest. Give, save, live. So every time Mandy and I make some money, we run it through give, save, live. Every time you make some money, the Bible is encouraging you to run it through give, save, live. Last week, we looked at contentment because it's contentment that allows us to live on less than we make. It's contentment that makes room for legacy. So maybe you see this now. Stewardship makes room for contentment, and contentment makes room for legacy. Once we are starting to constrain what it costs to live, we are able to allocate more and more to give and to save. 
So this gets us to our passage for today. This is what Kennedy read for us earlier from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 19. In fact, we're picking up where we left off last week. The early Christian leader Paul wrote a letter to a mentee of his. The mentee was named Timothy. Today we call that letter 1 Timothy, by which we mean he wrote another letter to Timothy called 2 Timothy. In chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, the first letter he wrote to Timothy, Paul turns his focus to how, how matters of money can go well and can go awry. So I pray that God would continue to use the words of Paul to speak to us, to wake us up to the reality that there are so many more important things in, these, in this world than our finances. It begins this way, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But you, man of God, remember this is written to Timothy, but you, man of God, flee from all this meaning a desire for wealth, a love of money. You, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He goes on to say, fight the good fight of the faith. Now, it is possible for finances, it is possible for a desire to get rich, it is possible that the hope that you and I can buy our way out of having to trust God, it is possible for these things to crowd out our faith. It is possible for us to spend so much time worried, for instance, about money, we don't have time to rest in the hands of our Savior. But the Scripture says that we are to live lives first and foremost of faith, first and foremost of trusting Jesus, loving Jesus, following Jesus, letting Him transform us and letting Him transform how we view everything else and how we view everyone else. I think part of why God gives us the give, save, live method is so that finances don't become all-consuming, that in fact we can learn how to tame finances. We, it can allow us to give our effort and our energy to the most important things in life, things like faith and love and developing a Christ-like character. And then towards the end of the passage, Paul makes a turn and he says this, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world. Right, We've got to stop right there. Here's the danger of the passage. It is possible to hear those words, command those who are rich in this present world, and think, whew, finally, a verse of the Bible that's not for me. I mean, Bill and Melinda Gates, yeah, they probably need to hear that verse. And in fact, Chad Larrabee, who's a part of our church, he looks like Bill Gates. So maybe he needs to hear that verse. Doesn't he look like Bill Gates? Have you ever done a side-by-side? But not me. I don't need to hear that verse. I'm a pastor. (laughs) It says those who are rich in this world. And yet, when people come back from our mission trips, many of you have come back from mission trips we've gone on. I hear a lot of the same great takeaways over and over again. Things like God is at work throughout the world. God's work is bigger than his work in our little corner of the world. That's great. I hear folks say, you know, I have a lot of conveniences in my life that I take for granted. That's true. People say, I've realized, I guess I already knew it, but I've realized again, you don't need money to have the most important things in life. Things like hope and joy and love. These are all great observations. They are all true. And they are pretty good confirmation that this verse is written to us. Because if you look globally and if you look historically, those of us who live in the 21st century United States, we've got it pretty good. For most of us, our basic needs will be met throughout the entirety of our lives. In fact, we mostly have some discretionary money to buy things we want. Globally and historically, 
and we have to get our minds around this, that makes us rich. So the verse says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So there's a lot there, that God is our provider, that God richly provides for what we need, that God provides things for our enjoyment, that, that, that God does not need us to feel guilty every time we enjoy something. God gifts us with certain things for our enjoyment. But the question of legacy keeps us coming back to the fact that our enjoyment and our pleasure is good, but it's not the end goal of life. The verse, in fact, points out that wealth is uncertain. Wealth does not last forever. But even though that's true, wealth can make people arrogant. Wealth can make people think that they are better than everybody else. Wealth can make people think they work harder than everybody else. Wealth can make people think they're more moral than everybody else. The Bible is alerting us to the way that our finances can shape our hearts. That's what I take from this verse. The Bible is alerting us to the way that our finances can shape our hearts. So why does God care about our finances? Why does God care about our money? Well, because first off, it's his money. It's not our money. Week one, stewardship. But secondly, God cares because of the ways money and finances shape our hearts. Last week, I made clear that money is not bad. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So money is not bad. This week, I want to emphasize, though, money is not neutral. Money is not neutral. Money has a shaping effect on our hearts. Money, the Bible says, can make us arrogant. It can change the source of our hope. Money has a shaping effect on our behaviors and on our outlook and on our integrity and on our lives. Money has a shaping effect on our hearts and our minds. Money can shape whether we're becoming more dependent on ourselves or more dependent on God, whether our greatest hope is in having more or our greatest hope is in having a relationship with God, whether we're more concerned with the immediate or the eternal, whether we're getting more and more wrapped up in the values of this world or more and more wrapped up in the values of the world that is to come. So God is trying to get our attention here and say, pay attention to the important heart matter that is going on in your finances. Verse 18, command them, in other words, those who are rich in the present world, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. So after everything I just said, verse 18 is a real is like the word but, but <laughs> wealth does not have to have a negative shaping effect on us. In fact, wealth can do the opposite. Paul writes, if you are rich in this present world, be rich in good deeds. If you have abundance, abound in generosity. If the Lord has entrusted you with a great deal, be willing to share a great deal. Money can close our hearts with arrogance, putting our hope in immediate pleasure, or money can open up our hearts and make us more generous and eager to join in God's work in the world. Money can close our hearts with arrogance, the sense that I'm better than everybody else. 
I've worked harder than everybody else. I'm more moral than everybody else. Or money can open up our hearts. Money can make us more generous. Money can help us engage more in God's work in the world. When some folks hear that the sermon is going to be on finances today, and it's about the give, save, live method, there's a cynical thought that can creep into our minds. (laughs) And the cynical thought is, well, the church must be hard up for cash. Or the minister must need a new wing on his house. So the truth is, I'm good on house. Uh, The truth is, we're not hard up on cash. (laughs) We're a nine-year-old church. We've had eight budget surpluses, and we're working on our ninth because uh, we're, believe it or not, ahead of budget this year because of how God has moved in so many of your hearts to be generous to his work uh, through his church at Lake Forest Davidson. It also helps we had very minimal expenses for a few months of this year. As I said, we are ahead of where we thought we'd be in our giving towards the land and thus allows us to evaluate if our timeline for raising money for the building can move up. We are talking about that at the end of this year where there's no promises, no, no news yet. I'm not preaching on this because the church needs money. In fact, I like to preach on these subjects when the church doesn't need money. We're preaching on this for the same reason we preach on everything, which is we need to hear it. God says this is important, that those of us who are rich in this present world be rich in good deeds, that those of us who have abundance abound in generosity. Give, save, live is about who we are and who we're becoming. It's about a life bigger than ourselves. So when money comes in, it's important that it starts at give, giving at least 10% to God's work in the world. That shapes us. That has a shaping effect on us. If we can knock the cynical thought out of our mind long enough, I think we'll realize it. Starting with give has a shaping effect on our hearts, a shaping effect on our minds. It makes us more generous people, and it engages us more deeply in what God is doing in the world. It makes us less of a bystander and more of a person who's gotten in the game. Now, some Christians, as they study the Bible, think that what the Bible teaches is that you should give that 10% to your church family, and giving to other ministries and missionaries is on top of that. Other Christians think that it's giving to your church family and the ministries and missionaries that should be at least 10%. So whatever your view is on that, and if you don't have a view, I mean, you can ask me my view, but I'd more prefer you read the Bible and come to a view, study the Bible, come to a view. The the point is, whatever your view is, act on it. It's not thinking about this stuff that shapes us. It's actually acting on it. The act of giving is what shapes us. The truth is, some of us uh, are really glad this is an online sermon today because our finances are, are not in a really good spot. And you don't really want to be looking at me on a field as I'm telling you all this. Here's the good news. If you're really struggling, the whole give, save, live thing, just start. You don't have to start right at 10%. There there may not be feasible for you to get right to 10%, but just start where you are. Start the shaping act of giving to God's work in the world. And as the months and years go on, keep dialing that number up, but just start. Thinking about it or feeling guilty about it is not what shapes us. What shapes us is actually the act of giving to God's work in the world. Saving is also an important part of legacy. Saving makes sure we have some bit of cushion, some bit of margin to take care of those that we're responsible for. 
because caring for those we're responsible for is an important part of our legacy. It also means that when we get to the end of life, we may be able to leave something to those who need it, to our church. Super practical on how to do give, save, live. Uh, four, four to probably five. I'll ramble for a little while. We'll do some question and answer. But it's a real super practical how to do give, save, live. I'm really trying to emphasize in this series more stewardship, contentment, legacy. And that Facebook Live at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, I'll do more practically how to do give, save, live. But the passage for this morning ends this way. It says, in this way, they will store up. In other words, by being rich in good deeds, in this way, they will store up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love that description of heaven, of eternity with God, life that is truly life. This verse is alluding back to one of Jesus's teachings. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught that we should not store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but instead that we should store up for ourselves treasures in heaven because there are no alarm systems in heaven. There's no ring doorbells in heaven. And then he concludes by saying, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, treasure, finances, money, treasure, according to Jesus, is more a matter of the heart than we realize. Does that sound familiar? Hopefully it does. It's, tri- it's been the point of the sermon. <laughs> where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we invest in the immediate or in the eternal, our hearts get more wrapped up in the immediate or in the eternal. As we find our identity in how much we make or in who Jesus says we are, we get more wrapped up in the hope of abundance or in the abundant hope of Jesus the Christ. So the order of give, save, live is important because it's shaping our hearts. Do we look at what God has entrusted to us and ask first and foremost, how can this benefit me? Or do we look at what God has entrusted to us and ask first and foremost, how can this benefit something bigger than myself? How can this benefit what God is doing in the world? How can this benefit loving my neighbor, meeting the physical needs of of those who are in poverty? How can this meet the spiritual needs of those who seem lost from God or, or left behind by the church? How can this benefit someone as something bigger than myself? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You ever wondered why Jesus came to earth in the first place? Like why God would wrap himself up in the frailty of humanity and come to earth and live and suffer and die and resurrect. Never forget that part, resurrect, so that you and I could be reconciled to God so that our guilt and shame could be stripped away and instead we could live forever forgiven and free. Why did Jesus do all this in the first place? Think about the verse. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Why did Jesus do all this in the first place? Why did the one fully God and fully human come to earth in the first place? Because you are his treasure. And where his treasure is, there his heart will be also. The God of all justice and mercy, the God of all grace and might, cannot ignore his love for those that he treasures. So Indy and I are reading a lot of books about Jesus right now. She loves the little Jesus story books. And so in almost all the pages, there's a picture of Jesus and a crowd of people. And it's come to, to, to strike me when I see Jesus with this crowd of people. They're all smiling in the picture because it's a kid's Bible. But in real life, you figure some of them were struggling. Some looked bedraggled. Some were guilty. Some were looking for a better way. Some were hungry to connect with God. I realized that in Jesus, God's heart came to be with God's treasure. God's heart came looking for God's treasure. That God will not leave you alone. God will not leave me alone. God's heart is to pursue God's treasure and to call us out of death to life, to call us to live in a new way, a transformed way, a new life. And one day at a time only Jesus knows, he will call us into something even better. He will call us home into the life that is truly life. So the Bible sort of pictures that, that the life we lead from the beginning is a life that's more akin to death than we realize. But through Jesus, we find a new life, real life, true life. And then one day, he welcomes us into something even greater. He welcomes us home into the life that is truly life. Life with a capital L. Life we may have dreamed of and wondered if it truly existed. And when we get called into the life that is truly life, what sort of legacy will we have left in this world? What sort of legacy is God calling us to leave in this world? Well, it seems to me there's sort of two folds to it. Let me wrap up with this. We invest back into God's work in the world. We invest our money, but we invest our time. We invest our skills, our expertise, our willingness, our prayers. We invest back into God's work in the world. And we leave a legacy that's twofold. One is the legacy of the actual good that is done with those things. That money, that time, that expertise, that willingness, that prayer, we leave that. We, we, we leave the legacy of lives that are touched by that investment. But the second fold is that we leave the legacy of showing people around us that we lived a life that was about something greater than ourselves. That our hearts and our treasure got wrapped up in someone greater than ourselves. And one day we will see him face to face when we are truly alive. And then God's heart and God's treasure will be forever together. So let me ask you to reflect on this little question as I, I wrap up. And then I'll hold my breath for a week and see if anybody shows up next, next Sunday. How might God's give, save, live approach to finances help you build a legacy of faith and generosity? How might God's give, save, live, the order is important, approach to finances help you build a legacy of faith and generosity? Because God is doing something in this world. He's reconciling people to himself and then he's sending us out to be ministers of his reconciliation. 
He entrusts us with resources so that we might join in his work, building up a legacy of faith, building up a legacy of generosity for generations to come. The lives touched, but also the message sent that we live for something bigger than ourselves. You may or may not be aware of this. So many of the stories that we know of God's work in the world are about our neighbors, our friends, people that we love and they're hungry for God and they're starting to ask questions. We've seen a lot of folks take steps forward in their faith throughout these past six months. In what I thought would have been a, a shipwreck and driftwood and trying to go find all the driftwood, we're actually having people come into the church and, and, and desire to put their faith in Christ during this time. It's a really beautiful thing. I'd like to tell you a little story that you may not be aware of, uh, of how the, the ever-extending arms of generosity are jo- of this church and other churches are impacting God's work in the world. So you may or may not be aware, but every year in our annual budget, we give away 3% of the money that comes in to church planting and church revitalization. And uh, more recently, we've started to look a little bit beyond our, our current uh, shores on how to do that. So recently, we've helped start a Spanish-speaking congregation with that money, El Buen Samaritano in Huntersville. We're looking at helping start a Lake Forest congregation in the university city area uh, sometime next year. But one that's been really interesting to me uh, is, is in the country of Tunisia. I don't know if you necessarily know where this is. It's to the west of Egypt. There are 17 known churches in the country of Tunisia. And we have been in contact, ourselves, the other Lake Forest churches, and actually our parent church, Forest Hill. All of us are pooling our money and resources together to work with a church in Egypt, a large Presbyterian church in Egypt, who is trying to help and resource these 17 Tunisian churches. Because what they're saying is, there are so many people coming and asking them questions about Jesus, wanting to become Christians, wanting to start new churches. And we're talking like this, these are folks who meet in a dentist office kind of churches. They're small congregations. If we were to tell them, we usually meet in a field and online, but we got rained out today, they'd say, man, that's great. How do we sign up for that gig? So these 17 churches are growing and there's a desire for so many more churches in that area right now and people wanting to learn more about Jesus. They don't know what to do. So this this uh, church in Egypt uh, has, has sort of dragged us into this, thank goodness, dragged us into this. And we're all working together to help resource these churches and help them grow and, and ultimately start new churches. If you give a dollar to Lake Forest Church, uh, some of that dollar has gone over to Egypt, to Tunisia, to help these churches, these congregations. That's a legacy of faith that we will never know what comes of it. We will never know. But I pray it brings you joy. Other side of the world, God's doing something. And he's doing something down your street or across your, across your dorm hall. He's doing something here too and something there. And he invites us to join in it down the street, across the world, not to be bystanders, but to get in the game and find how the act of giving and investing in God's work in the world shapes us day after day. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer.
Lord, I'm struck by the fact that you could do all this by yourself. You don't need us. I know me enough to know I probably get in the way more than I actually help out. And yet in your goodness, in your mercy, you invite us into the work that you're doing. And you invite us to join you with things you gave us in the first place. And so, Lord, I do pray for our congregation. I pray that you will continue to shape our hearts and minds to be more generous, to be more engaged in what you're doing in this world. As you call people from death to life, as you provide for the needs of those who are in need. Lord, I pray we would be less bystanders and more people who get in that game. Lord, I pray especially for those who may not feel as if they are your treasure. I pray that you would put that truth deep down in their soul so that they would not be able to resist it any longer. That you have come looking for them to call them into life and ultimately into life that is truly life. So Lord, for those of us who our hearts have become closed by the last months or years or maybe our whole lifetime, I pray in this moment we might open those hearts to you and ask you to make us new. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we'd love to pray for you. If you would let us know how to do that, you can send us an email to davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org. We don't have any wicker baskets on the field today, but if you do have a tither offering you had hoped to give, you can do that at lakeforest.org slash give. We love you guys. Let's worship together.